eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease and a whole lot of love, you transform 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. LED headlights, spoilers, whatever you need. eBay Motors has it at affordable prices. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride every time. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May of 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. A roast as dark as the night. Perfect for fueling the cryptid research and mad ravings required for your podcasting. Don't mind the red eyes. He's just trying to warn you of the bridge. The bridge. Finally, from the caffeine-addled brains of Spring Hill Jack Coffee and last podcast on the left, we bring you Mothman's Red Eye Blend. Yes, delicious Panama beans. Go to lastpodcastmerch.com to order yours today. <laughs> Hey, what's up, everyone? How you doing? Ben Kissel here with Henry Zabrowski. Yeah, it's me, man. Yeah, bro. Henry Zabrowski is smoking some of that sweet last podcast on the left, babe. (laughs) Go out there and purchase yourself some. I hope you enjoy it. We have sativa, we have indica, and we have a hybrid. And I have to tell you, from my personal experience, they are wonderful. Super tasty live resin. You really get the delicious weedy taste, which is what I like. And three different experiences. You go to your local vape store and get it. Absolutely. Thank you all so much for supporting the show. We absolutely love you. Can't wait to see you on the road and get that vape, put it in your brain and have a good time. And if you want us at your favorite weed store, give them a call and ask for them by name. Last podcast on the left. It's weed. Hail yourselves, everyone. Hail Satan. There's no place to escape to. This is the last podcast on the left. (laughs) That's when the cannibalism started. Nobody's right now. Right? We're gonna go all the way to the top. See, yeah, yeah. the finest clothes, all the, fi- all the finest, all the finest jewels. <laughs> Give me a time cool. gun, see. I've been watching film noir movies for the past two days. Good. Oh, good. How do you feel? Was that the era you should have been? I could have seen a Bugsy Zabrowski. This is my favorite. I could have seen it. You would have been good in that era. James Cagney. No. This is my favorite. Him going. Yeah, you with your wishing, huh? Oh, I wish you were wishing well, and I could tie a bucket to you so you could sing. <laughs> Wait, no, what? It's, Wait a a a it's a Don okay, Rickles. Yeah, so. Well, you want to tie but a bucket if he's, to ta- me, if he's tying me. a bucket to the wishing well, guys, you can't really top put a wishing well inside guys, the more. bucket. Bugsy Zabrowski, what can you translate for us? Things have changed. <laughs> All right, he was small and he was threatening looking. He was scary. Okay. He was very yeah. scary. James Cagney was very scary, but he was also a song and dance man. He was. They That's all true. were. Yes, but it's so weird to watch all the film noir movies 
and understand that they're all, every Looney Tune character was built on them. Absolutely. They're all Looney Tunes characters. They all look like Dick Tracy villains as people, which I know that is like what they did on purpose. Of course. Right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, Ma Barker's movie, Ma Barker and Her Killer Brood, oh. my favorite scene to the very top because Herbert's trying to play the violin, right? And he's going, uh-huh. and he's bad at it. Why is Herbert trying to play the violin? They try to show them at the very top being like, no, you see, they were a normal family huh. until Ma Barker is like, the violin's for limp noodles. And she came in and knocks, Whoa. she destroys the violin Whoa. with a karate chop in, in his hands. And he's like, but Ma, Ma, I want to play the violin. And she's like, you got to learn how to fight. You got to learn how to fight. And then the father's like, I think it's actually normal for him to play the violin. She's I like, agree. that's the problem with all of you. You don't know how to fight for nothing. You don't know Jeez, how to go out and get Ma. what you want from life. And I was like, for a second, I was like, that's actually very motivational. Kind of, uh-huh. but what if he wanted to be a very fancy violinist? To look at Tiger Woods's father. Yes, you it was always abuse. bring up Tiger Woods. It was awful, awful childhood. Well, I don't know. It, it made him an incredible golfer. Yeah. But at what cost? I mean, I don't know. Honestly, it I don't know. It seems fucking miserable. You barely remember your childhood. I don't I don't remember a single moment of my childhood. <laughs> I don't know why I yeah, cuz you it. blocked out you blocked both of you blacked out your entire childhoods and it all manifests itself in horrible ways. Redacted. Redacted. <laughs> Redacted. Welcome to last podcast on the left, everyone. I am Ben, hanging out with Marcus and I, I, hanging out with Bugsy Zabrowski. Hey, see, it's me. See, you're going straight to the top. See, I'm a man with breasts. I'm enjoying myself. See, <laughs> yes, you are a man with a solid rack. Nothing wrong with being a wet noodle, by the way. Yeah. No. Isn't it better to be a wet noodle than a hard, dry noodle? Let's move on. I'm mm, just saying, I, would you rather have a bag of hard noodles I, you know or what to a me? bag of wet noodles, which is called spaghetti? A bag of hard noodles is potential. <laughs> Soft noodles are how you eat it anyway. What I'm trying to say is, encourage your kids to be in the arts. Okay, so today's episode, we are on to part three of Ma Barker and her devilish gang. So when we last left the Barker Carpus gang, they'd just come off a pair of disappointing robberies that had respectively resulted in the death of gang member Earl Christman and a worthless haul of government checks that couldn't be cashed. Oh man, you know, I know we just robbed that bank, but I can't help but feel a little empty inside. Yeah, I think it's all the crime and the murder. Yeah. <laughs> As a result, the gang decided to put a pause on robbery to focus <laughs> on the newest criminal trend of the early 30s. Crypto! Which <laughs> no, that's the newest one of the 2020s. Oh, I see. Mm-hmm. Nope, the newest one in the 1930s. That was the kidnapping of wealthy people and demanding exorbitant ransoms for their return. Get them! Get them! <laughs> They're worth All right. it! All right. Now, the decision the Barker gang made to get into kidnapping just happened to coincide with the rise of a little organization we now know as the Federal Bureau of Investigation. Oh, I felt Although chilled. back then... They were just called the Bureau the of Bureau. Investigation, or the Bureau. BOI. Yeah, 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 welcome to the Bureau, huh? And when James Cagney was in the G-Men, everyone's like, oh, look, the world's ultimate gangster is now a cop. And you know what he did in that? What? He talked just like a gangster. Oh, wow, <laughs> undercover, maybe. No, he just he didn't know how to talk any other way. Maybe not a good actor. <laughs> See, the 1920s had been, as we discussed at length in our Bonnie and Clyde series, the golden age of bank robbing unparalleled in our country's history before or since. Mostly, this was because local law enforcement had pistols and Model Ts, while bank robbers had V8 engines and Tommy guns. That's called business competition. It is competition. And in America, you you win or you die. Game of Thrones. Sure. 
This sort of crime reached its absolute height in 1933, just after Franklin D. Roosevelt took office. And to combat this wave, the Roosevelt administration elevated a weird little sociopath who already wormed his way to the top of the Bureau of Investigation. That weird little worm was J. Edgar Hoover. There's nothing weird about me. I'm fun and, I'm fun and free. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, no. Can you see my frills? They're coming over my belt. It seems like you have a lot of hidden... Um, sexual tension, which maybe comes out in aggressive ways. Can you say they're closer to the vase, you communist? (laughs) (laughs) Before Hoover, law enforcement in the United States was a decentralized hodgepodge of county sheriffs and urban police departments that rarely even talk to each other, much less work together on cases. They seem more like clubs. Yeah, Yeah, indeed. Yeah. But with the emergence of increasingly mobile and heavily armed gangs like the Barkers, a centralized, efficient, and professional federal police force became a necessary evil. Now, the push to create the FBI actually came from a close advisor of Franklin Roosevelt named Louis Howe, who is one of the unsung architects of modern America. Louis Howe is a fucking amazing, amazing American. It's very interesting to see how many of these architects are unsung. Uh, yeah. In our next series, we will find out a lot about the, how America was, kind of, especially modern America, was put together by a bunch of people that you would never know. You don't know their names because sure. they didn't want their names to be known. And then it turns out like those guys are always like the worst guys. Yeah, I can't <laughs> no. wait for that new podcast series that we're going to have all about unsung Villains of American architecture? Yeah, unsung <laughs> architects. Yeah. That'll be exciting to really get into the world of lesser known architects. Yeah, like the guys who make slides out of metal so that when you're a child, you scald your tiny yeah. little portly legs and you go down in the summertime. The kids are always talking about their mainstream architects, but it'll be really good to put a focus on the lesser known ones. People love podcasts about architecture, <laughs> yeah. a visual medium. Yeah. You joke, but 99% Invisible is one of the most popular podcasts that exist. Is that all about architects? <laughs> it's about architecture. Holy Holy fucking shit, we're stupid. <laughs> Why would I want to listen to that? <laughs> People love it. I guess. It's actually good very good. I'm, sure it's great. <laughs> I'm just saying I don't wake up and be like, today I want to learn about architecture. You Am I in a building? Am I, is it collapsing? You have, That's all I want to know. You have Opie's haircut and you have Long John Buckingham's body. Ooh, <laughs> Lindsay Buckingham, perhaps. No, Louis Howe was actually a very good person. Okay. Uh, he was one of the architects of uh, the New Deal, actually. But he was one of the guys who got FDR uh, actually elected to higher office after FDR got polio. Um, he's a, and also the guy who pushed uh, Eleanor Roosevelt into the public eye for the first time. Oh, I thought you were going to say into the pool. Into the pool or on the tracks. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be kind of funny. It was very encouraging. Well, Howe could see that there was a need for a federal police force, but because this was right in the middle of the Great Depression and at the beginning of FDR's first term, securing funds was going to be a problem. So Howe tapped J. Edgar Hoover and told him that if Hoover could provide the headlines, Howe could provide the money. Now, Hoover believed that the biggest threat to America was communists. Always. (laughs) But his previous Red Scare efforts have mostly been met by scandal because he'd gained a reputation for arresting people without cause. Yeah, it seems like this weird slippery slope. It's weird because it doesn't it's not a pattern here in America. But like (laughs) uh, arresting people for an ideology, it seems to like not do a heck of a lot. Can't do it. For for like a little fun little idea or like a or economic concepts. Such as communism. And what's more communist than a potluck every Sunday at an old church? Whoa. Nice. Mm, wow. So Hoover reluctantly switched his organization's focus from people like Marcus Garvey 
to bank robbers, Ooh. the most infamous criminals of the day, because that's how he's going to get headlines. Okay. But the elevation of the Bureau also coincided with the kidnapping of the Lindbergh baby. Yep, the world's sexiest baby. The reason well, why they stole it, that. they said it was the first baby born with full sea breasts. <laughs> and it had to well, be stolen. It belongs uh, in a museum. Like the baby does, huh? Lindbergh, isn't that a cheese? <laughs> okay. He was a Nazi. Oh. Yeah. In 1932, not the baby, Charles Lindbergh <laughs> Sr. was a Nazi, not no, the baby. I'm the baby sure was not I a Nazi, but Charles that Lindbergh highly. was a Nazi. That's yeah. why the baby needed to be kidnapped. Immediately. <laughs> they always start hiling. And then you have to say, put that arm down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's why, yeah, that's why we've taped the right arm of Hero and Winnie <laughs> to the side. <laughs> yes, our last podcast, Babies. In 1932, persons unknown kidnapped and successfully ransomed the son of famed pilot Charles Lindbergh. Although the baby was killed in the process. Mm. Wait a second. That somewhat takes a little of the success out of the deal. They got the money, but the baby was killed with a blow to the head. They found him decomposing on the side of the road a few days later. It's not good. Come on. It wasn't like Casey Anthony. (laughs) It sounds like they were playing hot potato. Oh, my. But all the criminals paid attention to, though, was the fact that the $50,000 ransom had been paid and the perps had gotten away with it because the guy who had been fingered for the crime, he obviously had not done it. Mm. He was just taking the fall out of rage. So after the Lindbergh case, kidnappings of wealthy citizens skyrocketed in the following year. 27 people were kidnapped for ransom. 27 wealthy people, wow. by the way, were kidnapped for ransom by the end of 1933. Damn. Fat person alert. Fat person alert. You're going to want to gain some weight if you're rich. That is a very... That's <laughs> an it's old so much school harder joke. to get it out. That's it's an so old. hard to get... To, to pick up a big person. <laughs> this is a John Panette bit. I'm pretty certain this is a John Panette bit from back in the day. R.I.P. Miss him very much so. Oh, he was funny. Uh, yeah. I feel like being fat. I think maybe Fluffy said it like, being fat means you're hard to kidnap. Oh, Fluffy. I love you, Fluffy. <laughs> this rash of kidnappings actually came in defiance of the Federal Kidnapping Act of 1932, also known as the Little Limburg Act. And that made <laughs> transport. You, you ever fucking call me that again? <laughs> I will to the moon. The Little Lindbergh Act made transporting a kidnapping victim across state lines a federal crime. Hmm. And as it turned out, many of the people doing the kidnapping were also the same sorts of people who robbed banks. Hmm. So Hoover's mission dovetailed nicely with the emerging criminal trends. Yeah, it's going to be great. It's going to be great. I'm going to be able to use so many goddamn bullets. I'm going to be so fucking gay on the side. Uh, Mr. Hoover, you know what else is dovetailing? Your bulls mm. in those panties. Yeah, I'm glad you noticed. <laughs> yeah. well, basically, the Federal Kidnapping Act gave the FBI its first foothold into the St. Paul criminal scene, which had previously been all but impenetrable. And it was in St. Paul that the Barker Carpus gang began their kidnapping career. Now, after the death of Earl Kreisman and the deaths of all those police officers in previous robberies, the Barker Carpus gang and their more connected associates began to contemplate a safer way of illegally making money. Okay, how about this? Listen, guys, what if, say, we got a thing where we print out t-shirts with funny things on it, right? That uh-huh. says like, I'm with stupid. Oh, that's And it funny. points, to, uh, arrow points to the side. So then it's like, you're saying, hey, the guy I'm standing next to is stupid. He's stupid. <laughs> and this country is just chock full of fucking big ass morons. That is ideal for how dumb everyone is in this country. Guys. Graphic tees. Oh, you're going to stick a gun in my fucking mouth. Whoa. <laughs> 
See, this was 1933, FDR's first year in office. And since Franklin D. Roosevelt had run partly on repealing prohibition, because, you know, he wanted to both create jobs in the Great Depression, and also prohibition had been a really, really, really fucking dumb idea. Yeah, it was horrible. It created the entire criminal underground of modern America. Man, I yeah. wish that I could have ran. Oh, booze. Yeah. This platform was booze. Yep. Yeah. That's yeah. Oh, easy. You know we'll what? give you booze. Here, All here. right, hey, fine. Hey. You got my booze. Grandpa Joe. <laughs> Grandpa Joe. Weed. Wheat. Weed. Weed. <laughs> so easy. Yeah, but he wasn't the first one, though. It was only after Hoover had fucked everything up so bad because there had been a guy that ran against Hoover in 1928. His name was Smith. He was a New Yorker. Oh. Uh, he had run on a plank of, yeah, I'll bring booze back. Prohibition fucking sucks. But he lost because he was Catholic and the KKK were very powerful in the Democratic Party then. Oh, they didn't like the Catholics. Interesting. Hated well, the Catholics. Know, and we... the KKK were also one of the biggest supporters of Prohibition. Huge supporters of it. Really? Because they the made money off of it. Yeah. No, well, not that. it was because it was a good scapegoat for them. Oh, those fucking pieces. Yeah, because the KKK was not they were not a criminal they were not a criminal enterprise per se. They were just murderers and, you know, general but horrible they, they psychopaths. Weren't, they weren't the mafia. They were a group of serial killers that chose to hang out. It is important exactly. to recognize progress though as a country. We do have legal weed in many states. That's a good mm -hmm. thing. Criminal Whatever, justice bro. is in the right direction. Whatever. And even the Grandpa KKK. Joe's got that big fucking pen full of the blood of Native Americans and sure. he can sign <laughs> and just make weed free and legal. <laughs> yes, that's true. But let's give the KKK some credit because now they do accept Catholics. Oh, that's it's so that nice growth and change. That's progress. And if we don't recognize when progress is being made, then we, How we, we move forward. <laughs> wow. Well, because FDR was in office and because everyone knew prohibition was a bad idea, every criminal knew that the biggest cash cow of the last 13 years was about to be fucking slaughtered. Ooh. So... So, the St. Paul goons, who had made so much money on illegal liquor, they needed a new source of revenue. And kidnapping, at the very least, partly covered the profits they were all about to lose from the end of mass bootlegging. It's all <laughs> business. It's so yeah. interesting to see yeah. in this world. I know that, like, that's for us, that's the quote-unquote most boring right. of the criminal motivations is the business motivation. But it is really interesting to see how it's about diversifying. It and that's really what is. it's all about. They're like, we need to really figure out. We got to zig where other people are zagging here. Right. Well, the thing about prohibition is that when prohibition came, like all of these petty criminals that could barely rub two dimes together, they suddenly got very, very fucking rich right. real fast and spent 13 years being rich off of prohibition and all the things that came from prohibition. But then when once prohibition came to a close, all those guys were starting to see their bottom line dropping and they're still criminals. Oh, they yeah. didn't stop being criminals. And if you've been a criminal, <laughs> You've right. been a professional criminal for 13 years. I've been a professional comedian for 15 years. I am incapable of doing a single <laughs> other else. thing. Absolutely. I am done. Absolutely. I'm fucked. Yeah. I don't no new skills are coming in. No. I'm remembering I'm I'm forgetting old skills. Yes. I'm forgetting parts of the comedy job that I used to be good I think at. You're shedding a lot of the stuff you learned along the way. Yes. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Now, the proposal for kidnapping came from Harry Sawyer, owner of the Green Lantern Tavern, one of those guys who was about to lose money on bootlegging. He'd cooked up the idea with casino owner Jack Pfeiffer and corrupt St. Paul police chief Big Tom Brown, who both had a little experience in the kidnapping game. <laughs> so we got a saloon owner, a casino owner, and a policeman. Yeah. All, of the, all of the scariest people in the world. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Funky little room that must have been. 
Two years earlier, Big Tom Brown and Jack Pfeiffer had masterminded the kidnapping of a celebrity gangster named Leon Gluckman. Gluckman! Gluckman! Who'd been known as the Al Capone of St. Paul, Minnesota. Now, we don't need to go and throw names around, okay? I'm the Leon Gleckman of St. Paul. That's right. And Al Capone, of course, known as the Gleckman of Chicago. <laughs> don't you dare say that I'm the fucking Gleckman of Chicago. That's your Al Capone impression? Yeah. Wow. We're getting there in, t- in five years. Yeah. It's not I'm building. Oh, wait. yeah. That's, that's really going to be our Prohibition series. Yeah, I can't fucking wait for it. It's going to be fantastic. Now, after the $75,000 ransom had been paid, Brown and Pfeiffer cleverly placed the blame for the kidnapping on a man named Frank LaPrey. Then they killed LaPrey oh. with three shots to the head to make sure he couldn't disagree. Yep. That's a great way to do it. Mm-hmm. Yep. It happened a lot in yes. the Prohibition okay. times. So with past experience as a guide, Pfeiffer tapped the Barker Carpus gang to kidnap William Ham Jr., the president of Ham's Brewing Company. And they were going to ask <gasps> a $100,000 ransom worth $3 million in today's money. I said this on this week's episodes of Side Stories. All right. Yeah. And if you're a beer magnate, especially if you're a beer magnate, if sure. you're a podcast magnate, if you're one of these people and runs around and people like you got you, you to keep your head in a swivel. If you're just a normal, nice person. Who's able to be kidnapped? You got to change up the way you go places. You got to fucking mix yeah, it up. Well, don't, you can't you don't go. Have you to can't be scared, do. I don't you think. can't go to the office the same way every day. You need to fucking again zig where other people zag. Well, always only, fucking be on the lookout, yeah, but Henry. You're always going to the same <laughs> office. That's yeah. what so I'm saying. Why would the people just wait for you at the office? Yeah, I go all the way going around. all over the place, but like they just stay there. Because Fernando yeah. technically will be there to intercept, and Fernando now knows. Now that Fernando's where Travis is, Travis's first job was to take a bullet. For us. You're going to kill one of my co-hosts. I don't want to kill him. <laughs> I need I need the man. No, I, don't, I don't want him to die. Okay. I'm sorry, Fernando. I'm sorry, I'm Fernando. Sorry. I, you sacrificed I also, one of our I, employees. From New York so. City, I apologize to you, Fernando, yeah. for Henry to just spring the bullet claws on you when we were supposed to have a meeting about it. We're yeah, we were supposed it. to have a meeting about it. Get it in the arm. Get it in the leg. <laughs> Now, William Ham Jr. was not chosen solely because he came from a fantastically wealthy family. Ham, like many other brewers during Prohibition, had brewed near beer and malt extract for home brewing in the public eye while brewing real beer for the black market in private. I mean, it's still hams. It's the most obvious <laughs> thing in the world. It's the most obvious crime in existence. Of course, he still has a brewery company and he's got all the vats and he's got all the shit. And he's like, yep, I'm not making beer. Certainly not making beer here where all the beer is made. No, definitely not. Don't go in that room, by the way, officer. Bubble, hearing all the bubbling and shit. Uh, what they did is they said that they were doing. They were still brewing beer, but they were brewing near beer. Yeah. They tried to uh, remarket it as a health drink. It's like drinking a loaf of bread. I am so <laughs> it is, over it's it. Bad. It's the same thing with the Heineken ads where it's like, you can get pulled over now, but don't worry, officer. It's, it's like, not what? alcoholic. Meanwhile, just cut to you getting your fucking brains bashed your for head, some other reason. Your head just spiked <laughs> against the fucking hood. Well, since Ham was running a racket, selling real beer on the bootleg side, he paid one St. Paul mob $8,000 a year in protection money through a fence named Frisco Dutch Whoa, to I keep other mobs from robbing <laughs> his stock. But once Prohibition ended, Ham felt like he didn't need to pay protection anymore. Okay, Mr. Ham. In this, he was Wrong. And this is another hand, baby. Seriously, this is another <laughs> last podcast and left teaching moment here. If you're currently paying protection, if you're paying a vig to somebody, 
it don't end. No, okay. you actually have to because then they're the reason you are paying for them not to attack you, not to kill yeah. you, yeah. but also to f- protecting you against the other gangs. But you were also paying them to not kill you. It's yeah. du- it's a double. It's kind it's of a double hard. thing. We're yeah. aware. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> On June fifteenth, nineteen thirty-three, Fred Barker and Alvin Carpus snatched William Ham off the street outside his office. They put a hood on his head. <laughs> Very good. Very good. Very good. Very good. That's very good. I wasn't asked to be a ham. But no, I, no, this is just a normal man. This is oh, a grown-up man. Oh, this is amazing. Yeah, yeah. Human being. Okay, man. I got yes, it. I thought yeah, it was yeah, more, yeah. Thought it was yeah. more pork-related. <laughs> just the name. Oh, I see. I get it. Now. He's German. Not everyone's pigs. No. Okay. <laughs> Am I a pig to you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they put a hood over his head, shoved him inside a black coupe, and drove him to the home of a postmaster in Bensonville, Illinois, who just happened to be in on the job. Can you stop oinking back there? <laughs> I'm breathing. I'm breathing. <laughs> when the car stopped, Ham later recalled that he was gently pulled out by the icy, cold, small hand of what he thinks was a woman, implicating Ma Barker. Come Ooh. on, you gonna be my new chair. Come on, get in there. I'm gonna ride you like a seal in the circus. Come on, you stinky little boy, stinky pig. This is gross. But considering the small stature of the Barker boys, that tiny little hand might have also been Fred or Doc. Oh, it might be. Now, early speculation printed in the Oshkosh Daily Northwestern. <gasps> what? So, do you know the Oshkosh Daily Northwestern? I know Oshkosh. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, they said that Ham <laughs> thanks, was brought. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> okay. Good job, Ben. You do know Oshkosh. Yes. <laughs> They said that Ham was probably being held by a gambler and liquor runner named Vern Sankey. And on <laughs> this speculation alone, police had orders to shoot Sankey on sight. Jeez. Well, we're at the point now in Prohibition and especially like in the war on crime and all that, like where the police and federal authorities, everyone's done fucking around. So many people have died, especially in the Midwest, because Chicago at this point has become an absolute fucking murder hole. It's all like, just a, it's a battleground between yeah, gangsters like, and cops and, and everybody and a lot of innocent people are getting shot. In the main, yeah. in the in the middle of it, right. and these gangsters like the the Chicago beer wars, like we're talking like hundreds of people killed, hundreds right. of gang members killed, and innocent bystanders getting hit all the fucking time. Dang. Now this confusion as to who actually fucking did the kidnapping that was just fine with the Barker Carpus gang, and the investigative waters were only muddied further by the Barker's man on the inside, Big Tom Brown. For a share of the ransom, Big Tom kept the outlaws updated on the activities of law enforcement and in turn misdirected authorities when they got too close to the Barkers. Wow. Case in point was in the delivery of the ransom. The aforementioned shotgun George Ziegler acted as the ransom negotiator and demanded that a Ham's brewery truck deliver the money, presumably to make the vehicle easy to recognize. But using a truck meant the detectives could play games of their own. St. Paul detective Charles Tierney convinced authorities to let him hide in the back of the brewery truck and (laughs) pop out with a machine gun once the kidnappers arrived. Not so he could take them alive, but so he could just fucking mow them down on sight. Yeah, okay, man, it's I fucking, mean, you know, that's brutal. That's like, say hello to my little friend. Like, that's what every one of these gangster movies I watched. Every yeah. one of those gangster movies I watched were all just people spraying everybody with Tommy guns. It's awesome. <laughs> yeah. But just before the plan was put into motion, Big Tom Brown contacted the Barker Carpus gang and told them that the St. Paul police were basically planning to murder them at the handoff. 
So the gang told the police to forget the delivery truck and instead deliver the cash in an equally conspicuous vehicle with the doors and trunk removed so no one, armed or otherwise, could hide inside. Totally I don't know. inconspicuous. I don't know how that doesn't. No, they wanted point. it to be conspicuous. They oh, wanted to see. They, they wanted, wanted to see it coming a mile away. Okay. But I don't know how that doesn't point to the fact that they had a man on the inside of the police department to tell them that somebody was hiding inside of the truck. It was understood at this point that every gang had a man on the inside in almost every single operation that you're ever going to fucking do. You just had no idea who the man on the inside was going to be. So you just kind of had to try whatever you fucking could and hope that maybe the man on the inside wasn't in the room when you made that plan. Okay. Well, so the, the fucking federal investigations systems, all of them, have had to deal with this problem. Since the fucking 19, since the beginning, since the very beginning of them. Well, at this point, this wasn't federal. This was still local. This was St. Paul because no one had broken a federal crime yet. They didn't know that the kidnapping victim had been taken to Illinois. So the federal government, the federal bureau bureau couldn't come into it yet. Yeah, this is just still St. Paul bumbling around trying to take care of it themselves. But while the negotiations for the new drop were being made, William Ham's mother, who had been involved in the negotiations from the beginning, she collapsed. <laughs> Hi, Mrs. Ham. <laughs> hey, Mrs. Ham. I'm you... just breathing. Yeah. I'm just breathing. I'm here for the massage. Oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> she died, Henry. She oh, died. died. She died. 100 years ago. 100 years ago. She's fucking dead. She... What did she have? Hope <laughs> 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 mouth disease? <laughs> she collapsed from worry and died of a heart of heart failure. Oh. A pig's death. <laughs> no, most of the time a pig's death is a fucking bolt to the back of their skull. They, but they're yeah. very nervous. Yeah, oh, they are. Poor pig. Well, by June 30th, the ransom was paid and Ham was released unharmed. He told reporters that he couldn't identify the kidnappers because they had goggles taped to his face <laughs> the entire time. They did it right. Yeah. They were, they however, very nice. Oh. And the meals, while not elaborate, were obviously well done. This That's is tr- this is where Ma Barker came in. Yeah. Truly, Ma Barker catered the criminal revolution of the 1930s. There is something classy <laughs> about treating your because it's not about the victim. They don't care no. about this person. They want the money. They're I, like, not at all. Again, Ma Barker was not the general. She did not make make give them moves. She did not raise them by the rod in order to make criminals. She didn't like train them how to be criminals. She can't help but, you with insurance. But she is fully a part of the system and she's yeah. much closer to um, Scorsese's mom and Goodfellas when oh. they're done dumping the body and she goes, man, you guys want some food? And she goes, and she's making everybody food. That's like what Ma Barker did. I think more, I yeah. always thought of her more as a Bill, like Billy Crystal's mom and throw Mama from the train. Yeah. Oh, loves his mom. She, um, and Mama oh, Fratelli from The Goonies is also Goonies. very much so based on Ma Barker. Yeah, that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Same and actress. of course, the mother of the Beagle Brothers. Oh, yes, yeah, so we've talked about it. Dogs. Barker, Barker, get it. The thing, can you just, can you please buy a fucking clue, please? (laughs) This is the general. You missed my insurance reference. I remember him. Oh, and well, the reason why they never roughed them up is because there was no angle to roughing them up. If you roughed up a kidnap victim and you brought them back all fucked up, then it was even more likely for the cops to come that much harder at you. Because because if someone's kidnapped for 20, 30 days, they might come back and just say, please fucking god it's over let's just put it all behind us right. i don't want to think about it ever again but if you're coming back with a couple of broken limbs you're gonna want revenge you want sure. revenge and it is it is interesting to see this is also the concept of criminal as 
businessman. Right. Yeah. So they are mm-hmm. trying to, to them, they're like, this is business. Bonafide. This is what people do. You know, we're just trying to hear we're running an honest organization. Right. You give us the money <laughs> and then you get you fucking pig man back. You, you get, get him, him back. Man back. Yeah. You shouldn't have let him go. Right. It's on you. <laughs> this podcast is brought to you by Squarespace. Finding work-life balance can be tough, but Squarespace gives you the tools to reach your goals and have time to celebrate. Squarespace is the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. With the new guided design system, Squarespace Blueprint, you can select from curated layout and styling options to create a personalized website optimized for every device. Get your website discovered fast with integrated, optimized SEO tools. Plus, make checkout easy for customers with easy-to-use payment tools. And with Squarespace AI, you can explain what your site is about, choose your tone, enter what you need, and get auto-generated text and that helps you save time i know i'm sitting on about two literal wheelbarrows filled with horse picks now part of the issue has been is a lot of these pictures are getting stopped at customs because some of them do depict various world leaders in horse-like circumstances that seems to be pinging a lot of these custom agents accounts now so what i've done to do is like so while i'm trying to work on hand smuggling these horse picks over various country borders, I then also have time because Squarespace is doing all the other ad work for me to go and work on my killdozer at home. So thank you, Squarespace, for allowing me to diversify in the best way possible for this country. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial when you're ready to launch. Go to squarespace.com slash left to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Hi. Did you know Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in the U.S. with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the U.S.? They have everything you could possibly want, like fruit trees, palm trees, evergreens, houseplants, and so much more. Whatever you're interested in, they have it for you. Find the perfect fit for your climate and space. That's one of my favorite things about it. Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online, and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, they offer free plant consultation forever. Now, personally, I'm in the middle of re-landscaping my yard. I like to do it myself because I called up a landscaper to see how much it costs, and it was absolutely insane. Plus, I love dirt. I love getting my hands in the dirt, and I love planting things myself. And Fast Growing Trees has given me some wonderful plants that I can use. Like I got this uh, Texas sage, it's purple. I've dug up a whole bunch of horrible bushes and shrubs up in front of my window and in front of my house and put some purple Texas sage up there, and it's going to thrive, and it's going to look real good. And I didn't even have to go to a nursery to buy it. It came to my house. Now, this spring, they have the best deals online, up to half off on select plants and other deals. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code LEFT at checkout. That's an additional 15% off at FastGrowingTrees.com using the code LEFT at checkout. FastGrowingTrees.com, code LEFT. Offers valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. One in five Americans have learned a new language on their bucket list. If that's you, make 2024 the year you finally check it off the list. With Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors. It's a waste. Don't waste hours on apps. 
besides appetizers. That's the kind of apps I like. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Did you know that empanada is already Spanish? I didn't. Thanks, Babbel. Did you know that burrito is already Spanish? Wow. I just got to learn all the rest. And eventually, I'm going to be eating downtown Mexico. Thanks, Babbel. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash left. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash left, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash L-E-F-T. Rules and restrictions may apply. So once William Ham was returned safely, the hunt to catch those responsible began, and Big Tom Brown did his best to steer the investigation away from the Barker Carpus gang, and therefore, away from himself. Hmm. Investigators launched a raid on a cabin at Lake Minnetonka, seemingly chosen by Tom Brown at random, but that produced nothing more than a badly frightened couple on vacation. Oh, That's a Chevy Chase movie we haven't seen. Yeah, leave them <laughs> alone. It's a beautiful area. If it was the summertime, get a nice lake out there, a little yeah. grilling, a little barbecue, a little fine. kids in. It's fine. It's nice. J. Edgar Hoover, meanwhile, had his own ideas about who was behind the kidnapping, but he was also... Very wrong. It's a goddamn Fidel Castro. It's Fidel Castro. <laughs> it's Fidel Castro. Fidel Castro stole the ham, baby. <laughs> Through a top operative named Melvin Purvis. This guy. Who, oh, this guy is fucking, this, he is a big deal. Melvin yeah. Purvis. Ugh. Melvin Purvis, yep. Hoover put all his stock into the word of a Chicago detective named Dan Gilbert, a.k.a. Tubbo. Oh, so <laughs> guys, okay, guys, I know we're passing out nicknames today. Is it possible that we can alter mine? Tubbo. No, man. <laughs> I, would dub, I just don't want to be Tubbo anymore. We already got Fatso. Yeah. We got Blimpy. We got Dumbo. <laughs> oh, You're a Tubbo, all right? Oh, Nobody's got a good. Me? Look at me. They call me fucking Tiny Dick. Tiny <laughs> That's dick. it. That's what I got. Whoa. <laughs> Tubbo maintained that Chicago bootlegger Roger Tuhi was responsible for the kidnapping. Or I guess it's Tuhi. Roger Tuhi Roger was Tui. responsible for the kidnapping. And Big Tom did his best to encourage that line of thinking. Every one of these characters feel like the corrupt cop from Batman 1989. Oh, yeah. Oh, that big yeah. fat guy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, God. Uh, What's his name? Eckhart. 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 Think of the future. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He breathes like that. Yeah. <laughs> well, eventually... Roger Tui and members of his gang would be arrested and charged with the kidnapping of William Ham. But years later, it was revealed that Tubbo was actually an operative of Al Capone. Why Whoa. do you think he had a nickname? Tubbo. <laughs> this is the thing, man. If a cop has a nickname, he's a gangster. Only yep. the gangsters have nicknames. I guess yep. so. Good point. Roger Tui was another Chicago rival, and Al Capone took him off the board by playing one of his opera. And by the way, Al Capone did this from jail in Atlanta with oh. syphilis. Yeah, <laughs> look at like that. nearly so, deranged from syphilis. Yeah. So that's a good reminder. You get out of bed today. Always mm -hmm. shoot. Al Capone did all of this with syphilis in prison. Yeah, obviously. Yeah, and if you did, always shoot the villain in the head. Yeah. However. While Roger Tui was arrested and charged with the crime, it soon became obvious that others were responsible, even though prosecutors went ahead and pursued a conviction against Tui anyway. Huh. This revelation that someone else was involved had come from a technique new to the FBI 
called latent fingerprint identification. Hmm. And by the way, I'm just at this point, the FBI didn't become the FBI until like 1935. But just for simplification purposes, I'm referring to the, the group you know, BOI would, yes, become gotcha. the FBI. They're they're called the BOI at this point. They're not the FBI till 35. But just to make everything simple. We'll just call it the FBI. Yeah. No. Great. Well, basically, latent fingerprints are fingerprint impressions left on objects from the scene of the crime, which, while not obvious at first, become clear after chemical powders are applied. So a whole dusting for fingerprints thing comes from. Yes. Oh. And when the ham ransom notes were dusted, they found not Roger Toohey's fingerprints, but Alvin Carpus and Doc Barker's. And also, Tubbo, come over here. Look at this. That look like barbecue sauce to you. Yeah, let me just... <laughs> Man, you ate the fucking evidence, Tubbo. I honestly... God, I need to eat before coming to crime scene. Please. <laughs> well, incidentally, while Tui and his men were acquitted of the ham kidnapping, they were found guilty of abducting a market speculator named John Factor for $70,000. And John Tui, quote-unquote, committed suicide in his oh. cell by necktie hanging, courtesy of Al Capone. <gasps> really? So, jail cells are not the safe place you think they'd be. I don't think they are. No, no when did you ever think that they were? I don't know, no. actually. Yeah, no. No, jails, prisons, seems like the most, some, some of the most dangerous, in, in town, the most dangerous place is usually jail or prison. Yeah, yeah. 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 I want to be at the comic book shop. Yeah. <laughs> I want to be at the barbecue <laughs> restaurant. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> Now, while kidnapping was easier and just as profitable as bank robbing, it was also extremely time-consuming. Getting the ransom usually took 20, 30 days, maybe more. Not to mention the fact that it was nowhere near as exciting as shoving a gun in a stranger's face and fleeing from the cops afterward. No, you're really just getting paid to babysit. Yeah. Technically, it's like investing in stocks. <laughs> you're just sitting there and you yeah. gotta wait. You just gotta yeah, wait. Just yeah. gotta let it mature. So the Barker Carpus gang temporarily returned to their original vocation. In September of 1933, the Barker Carpus gang robbed two Railway Express employees and escaped with two cash boxes containing somewhere between sixty thousand and a hundred thousand dollars. See, look at and look at that man. I mean, they got the like because that's the thing. Out of the uh, ham kidnapping, they only got a fraction of that. Big yeah. Tom Brown got a cut. Uh, who else? Uh, fucking uh, everybody who's everybody. The Green the, Lantern Tavern got a cut. The whole right. line. The whole yeah. fucking the the enterprise gets yeah. a cut. Yeah. yeah, I think there was like nine or ten people involved beginning to end. I think the Barker Carpus game oh came goodness. away with like $7,800 each. Oh, there's no the money in that at all then. Yeah. Very little. Yeah, but they could, and then it also took a month. But hey, man, you're robbing a fucking Railway Express employee. You can make $100,000 in about 15 minutes. Yeah. yeah. Two days later, they robbed a bank in Wisconsin for $43,000. Oh, hey, can you not? Perfect. That's my impression of the bank teller. Oh, perfect. Hey, oh, oh hey, no. Oh, oh. Can you not? Oh, uh. Hey. Hey, Can what, you if, not? What, if we, what if we don't say we did? Hey. Now, those two robberies have gone smoothly. But if you rob enough banks, something is going to go wrong eventually. Yeah. And sometimes what goes wrong is entirely your fault. Yeah, you're a criminal. <laughs> mm -hmm. By your fault, I mean you just fuck up. Yeah. Oh, and you geez. fuck up bad. This one here, this is a this one's a real dumb dumb robbery. You can't oh, right. always be perfect. No. <laughs> In 1933, the Barker Carpus gang robbed a train station in South St. Paul, okay. bending the no crime in city limits rule. And things went very south very quickly. 
all due to mistakes made by the gang. Mertries in retrograde. Is that what they said? (laughs) (laughs) At about nine in the morning, the Barker Carpus gang waited in a black sedan at a railway depot in South St. Paul. There was a couple of messengers arriving with bags of cash for delivery to the Stockyards National Bank. And with those messengers were a couple of police escorts. Sure. So as the bagmen, along with the police, entered the railway depot offices, Doc Barker jumped out of the gang's car and pointed a sawed-off shotgun at Officer Leo Pavlak. Meanwhile, another gang member named Chuck Fitzgerald also leapt out and aimed a pistol at one of the messengers. Now, things at this point were under control, if a little tense. But when another officer named John Yeoman unexpectedly entered the scene after his coffee break, oh, God. a jumpy Barker gang member named Bill Weaver drew his shotgun from the oh. backseat of the Barker sedan and shot Yeoman in the head. This is such oh, a scene geez. from a movie because yeah. it's the guy coming back because, you know, beforehand it's the them rolling in and it's being like, I'm going to go get some coffee. And they're all like, <laughs> yo, man, you're supposed to have gotten coffee earlier. And he's been like, it's my break. Give me a break. I'm new here. And then he right. goes and he gets the coffee and he's just being like, me and my best girl get married on Friday. And the guy's like, yeah, you got the look of a married man. He's like, see you soon. And then he goes back over there and gets his head Now, Doc Barker assumed that the shot had come from the police, so he called Officer Pavlak a dirty rat son of a bitch, you dirty rat son of a bitch, and pulled the trigger, nearly decapitating Pavlak with his sawed off. Fred Barker then also opened fire because he assumed a firefight with the cops had begun, and he hit human again in the head (laughs) and the chest, finishing him off. I'll get this guy on the ground. Thank you. (laughs) Completely losing the plot, Fred then just started spinning around in a circle, firing his pistol at (laughs) anything he could fucking see. That's what Fred does. And he accidentally hit fellow gang member Chuck Fitzgerald. Chuck Fitzgerald yelled, I'm hit! (laughs) Oh my God. And Doc assumed Chuck had been hit by the cops. So (laughs) so Doc pulled two 45s and started firing bullets into the post office across the street. (laughs) And then finally, he grabbed the messenger's money bags and drove off. See, this is why we train our soldiers for so long. So they they become machines that become killing machines so that they can just like learn how to do it. Because I do feel like if you put me in a combat situation right now, at first it'd be kind of interesting. But eventually I would be the guy in a circle going... They're everywhere. Charlie's everywhere. Yeah. You're like that. Vietnam was 50 years ago. I don't know. I actually think with your ability to transform, you would do very well. I yeah. could see you just landing in, yep. you know, some in Syria and just I, immediately having a deli oh, cart. Yeah. And- I definitely <laughs> wouldn't just lay down. and wait for someone to just send me back like i literally would just i would just lay down and be like you can arrest me like literally just put me in military jail i'm not going out there oh no they're gonna do they'll they'll do things with you now the barkers came away from this robbery believing that they just survived another nasty gunfight with the cops but when the story was reported later the barker carpus gang discovered that they'd only been battling each other oh my god they are not the dumbest a people. single not a single shot had been fired by the cops it was all the barker carpus <laughs> gang is there a more appropriate way of describing the american people in twitter than this, than this moment where they all think they're all fighting they're all fighting outside sources but everybody's just fighting Fight themselves each other. Just all shooting What's themselves yeah all right great Meanwhile, the FBI was getting more aggressive in its newly christened War on Crime. 
Hoover was pushing his agents to learn the strategies and tactics of gunplay, which of course resulted in more civilian injuries and deaths, but also made the FBI more dangerous to tangle with. Perhaps the new aggressiveness on the part of the FBI was why the paranoia of the Barker-Karpus gang spread from Alvin Karpus and infected the rest of the crew. Honestly, it sounds like they finally are learning how to be professional criminals when they mm-hmm. start to look at him. Because Carpus this whole time has been like, I told you we got to plan more. And they're all right. used to flipping out. And, you know, like now he's like, now we really have to figure out how do we thread this needle? Because how long have they been active at this point? Five years yeah. or four years. Yeah, yeah. Yep. They've, been, they've been together. Yeah, they've been together four, maybe five years. Somewhere. Yeah, between. so they're out of criminal college and they're supposed to be in criminal private sector. You got to do well, a post-game review. And you have to maybe you need a tendency breaker. You need a yeah. So you, you got to say, debrief. guys, that last time when we shot each other, yeah. we got to learn from that. I'd call this an aha moment. Aha. <laughs> <laughs> now, notice Alvin Carpus was not on that raid. No. Yeah. Mm. Well, one day, Doc Barker and Alvin Carpus were driving in a Chevy when they noticed they were being followed by a car that they thought contained two police officers. So Doc and Alvin turned down an alley to trick the car into following them somewhat out of the way, somewhere quiet. Once they were in a tight spot, Carpus stepped out of his car holding a Tommy gun loaded Whoa. with a 50-bullet drum while Doc pulled out his 45. And both men opened fire on the car behind them until the guns were emptied of bullets. My name is Hubert. I'm your neighbor. Seriously. That's why I was following <laughs> behind you. Um. Well, as it turned out, the person following them was not a police officer, but was rather a Northwestern Airline employee named Roy McCord, who thought that Carpus and Doc were a roving pair of peeping Toms. You looking at me, shit? <laughs> I mean, hey, are you the guys looking at me, shit? So they both thought, like, they were like, those are cops. And then the co- the fake cops or the people who weren't cops were like, those are peepers. Yes, they're so peepers. Everyone was, everyone, everyone was wrong. Everyone assumed that everyone was disgusting. I guess follow the peeper is a fun game you can play in 1930s. I guess <laughs> so, yeah. So after the disaster at the railway station, the Barker Carpus gang decided to return to the much less exciting game of kidnapping. And plans were made to abduct corrupt St. Paul bank president Edward Brimmer, mentioned before as a source of money laundering. See, Edward Brimmer was the son of Adolf Brimmer, owner of Schmidt Beer Brewing, as well as the nephew of Otto Brimmer, chairman of American National Bank. The Brimmers were rich as fuck. So the ransom this time was doubled to $200,000. At this point, we got to make our money. Now we're going to put all this time in. On January 17th, 1934, Brimmer dropped off his daughter at school and was driving away when Alvin Karpus appeared at his driver's side window at a stop sign and shoved a gun in Brimmer's face, telling him to move over or die. And as Karpus opened the door and Brimmer slid over, Doc Barker leaned into the passenger side and knocked Brimmer out with the butt of his 45. Does that really happen? Can you really knock somebody out like that? I see it in movies, but I don't know if it's really possible to do I didn't know if it was possible to like pop a guy oh, in the head. Hold on a second. I have over. this new gun that I just bought. Let me Whoa, check it out. Oh, cool gun. <laughs> it's actually much harder to knock somebody out. It's harder to knock somebody out completely. It's harder than you think it is. If someone has been knocked out by getting hit in the head, you've probably damaged their brain. Yeah, they're in a coma. Yeah. There is a, yeah, there is a very, very 
very strong impulse in humans. Like even after you get knocked out, that's why people don't usually like you're like, why don't don't they just stay dead? Because instinct kicks in, survival yeah. instinct kicks in, and you're just like, I gotta get out of here. Yeah, man. Oh. Yeah, that's me, bro. I keep yeah. coming, dude. Yeah, oh. I keep fucking prob- coming, bro. He okay. probably wasn't knocked out as much as he was just severely stunned. disoriented and stunned. Yeah. So yeah. Doc again taped a pair of goggles to Bremer's face and then placed a gag in his mouth and secured it with a piece of rope. Mm. And while all this was happening, motorists behind them just honked their horns at what they felt was nothing more than an annoying delay. Yep. Wow. Honk, honk. Once Bremer Mm. regained... That's a very poignant honk, honk. Thank you. (laughs) Once Bremer regained consciousness, he was forced to sign three pre-written ransom notes that could be sent to his father. Mm. They then abandoned Bremer's car for the police to find later covered in Brimmer's blood so everyone would get nice and worried. Let's put some shit in there as well. Yeah, why not? <laughs> now, Brimmer was taken again across state lines to a hideout in Illinois, just like Ham was. But Alvin said that Brimmer was, quote, a pain in the ass, mm. Demand, <laughs> demanding what? a drink the moment they stopped his bleeding and insisting- I want some water. <laughs> You're a fucking victim right now. I want some water. You don't, get, you don't get anything. Today is my day. Oh my God. I'm the main character today. Why did we steal this entitled little bitch? <laughs> and he insisted over and over again that his father would never pay $200,000. Jokes on you, he'd rather me dead. <laughs> That's actually really sad, man. I didn't realize being wealthy was so... No, I'm glad he hates me. Yeah? I, I pissed in his car once. <laughs> you pissed in his car? Yeah. As a baby or an no, adult? No, it was last week. It was last week. Yeah, maybe, maybe you are. Because I needed candy. <laughs> you needed candy, so you're pissed in your dad's car. Why what did we kidnap do? you? Take what? care of me. I'm your baby now. God, dang it, man. This sucks. Now, when Brimmer's abandoned, blood-stained car was found, the media concluded that Brimmer had been murdered and dumped. But because kidnapping had become such an epidemic, the Brimmer family was flooded with fake ransom notes, <laughs> all claiming to have kidnapped their son. <laughs> just You could just see the cheese doodle residue. Just it's be like, like uh, Henry, I think I got it, bro. Listen, we didn't even we kidnap. Didn't, we didn't even kidnap. Wait, let me see that, man. Um, um, God damn it, Tomo. Um, Tomo, you ate the fucking fake um, ransom um, note, bro. Um, I, got, I got to eat before our school. You have to eat. On the third day after the kidnapping, though, the real perpetrators of the crime placed a fairly standard ransom note in a bottle and tossed it into the window of a longtime friend of the Brimmer family named Dr. H.T. Nipper. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That's fun. But since there have been so many fakes, the first note wasn't taken seriously. So, a day or two later, the Barker Carpus gang slipped a somewhat more forceful follow-up under Dr. Nipper's door. Dr. Nipper, we have this person, dot, 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 for realsies. For realsies. <laughs> That's how you know. For cereal. For cereal, yeah. please. Didn't have that in my 1934 bingo cart. This is what that note said. If Bremer don't get back to his family, he has you to thank. First of all, all coppers must be pulled off. Second, the dough must be ready. Third, we must have a new signal. When you are ready to meet our terms... Place an NRA sticker in the center of each of your office windows. <laughs> what? We'll know if the coppers are pulled or not. Remain at your office daily from now until 8 p.m. Have the dough ready and where you can get it within 30 minutes. You will be instructed how to deliver it. The money must not be hat, as it will be examined before Bremer is released. We'll try to be ready for any trickery if attempted. This is positively 
our last attempt. Don't duck it. It sounds kind of scary, but then also kind of fun. It, yeah, because yeah. coppers. Yeah. <laughs> and so, since this note had more of an air of authenticity, it was taken seriously. And 20 days after Brimmer was kidnapped, the $200,000 ransom was delivered to a spot in Farmington, Minnesota. The next night, Brimmer was released into the middle of the street in Rochester, Minnesota, oh. and told to count to 15 before finally removing the goggles that had been almost Constantly taped to his face for three weeks. Now, just a quick question. Did you want me to count down to one or count up to 15? I'm going to count out loud. One, two, can I now? So fucking happy. Can I now? I'm the baby. You're not the baby. No, he, they actually scared him a little bit. They dropped him off and he started counting to 15. And once he got to about like seven, uh, they said, we're still here. Start again. Uh, yeah, Nice. Well, technically, that means I'm be counting to 30. <laughs> you said 15. You said 15. That's 30. So, Now, the FBI was very interested in what sort of information Brimmer could remember about the kidnappers. But all he could give was a clear memory of a piece of wallpaper he briefly saw and a vague memory of an older woman maybe saying, Now you're thinking, boys. Now you're thinking. Oh. Now you're using your noodle. Well, it seems like they did something real stupid, but yeah. Yeah, now you think you're taping the goggles to his face. That's smart. I'm going to go over here now, pull his pants down, show me his balls. Oh, wow. That's <laughs> Come even on, let me, let me sit on him. Wow. <laughs> now, once the money was collected, the gang split the earnings and scattered. Shotgun George Ziegler, on the other hand, was the only member of the gang who couldn't keep his fucking mouth shut. Just shut up. There's so many other things to talk about than the felony you just committed. But how does everybody know that you did the cool job of doing these felonies if you don't tell people that you're the one who did it? Totally. Ego. Well, after telling many of his associates in Chicago that he'd been involved in the Brimmer kidnapping, Shotgun George was gunned down outside a restaurant in Cicero. And his body was left in the street until the next day. Carpus later claimed that the kidnapping syndicate was responsible. I think Capone was responsible. I think it's well, a I lot mean, of shit. There's a lot of people that could have been there to, to fucking kill him. Well, nothing oh. happened in Cicero without Capone say so. So oh, okay. I'm sure Capone, so that meant that maybe Capone had something to do with the Brimmer kidnapping at the very least, had a little bit of a, his finger in the pie because after all, he was taken to Chicago and it was said, like, I think Carpus said that Capone had told them, like, if you're in Illinois, you're paying rent. Oh, yes. So, that makes total sense because he he was like that. And they did have a quote unquote good relationship with him. Which means you, you give him the vig. You basically mm -hmm. go. And I just think mm. Capone, the, any any heist of this size at this time period in the middle corridor of America, Capone had to at least have like heard about it yeah. or he would want to shut it down. Sure. Yeah. Now, by 1933, high-profile kidnappings, murders, and bank robberies were just as prevalent as ever, if not more so. Therefore, the FBI were under a lot of pressure to have any sort of success in their so-called war on crime. They'd actually given it a name. It was now called the Great Crime Wave of 1933 and 1934. Huh? Public enemy era. But the Barker Carpus gang, Pretty Boy Floyd, and John Dillinger were all still at large. And Bonnie and Clyde, yeah, they'd been killed... But they've been killed in an operation led by a former Texas Ranger, Frank Hamer. And that had absolutely nothing to do with the FBI. That was one man's vendetta. Mm -hmm. And concerning Dillinger, the FBI had also completely botched a raid on the Dillinger gang in mm. Wisconsin 
at the Little Bohemia Lounge. Ooh. Oh, yes. Whenever I think of Wisconsin, I think Little Bohemia. Always. <laughs> <laughs> well, at the restaurant of the Little Bohemia Lounge, the FBI had killed one innocent <gasps> civilian customer who was only there for the Sunday dollar dinner special. Oh, no. And you know that was like bad, but great. It was just yeah. thick. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It was, and they wounded two other civilians. And it was one of those completely, it was one of those like jitters things where oh. these people were like leaving the restaurant. There was like 75 people there that night. They were leaving the restaurant. The FBI was out there waiting for the Dillinger gang. They told the car to stop. The car didn't stop. So the FBI fucking open fire and killed, just, these, was, and killed someone instantly and wounded the other two. Had nothing to do with it. It was just because they were in Wisconsin. You know, they had a couple of Manhattans at dinner and they were just mm-hmm. like, honey, we are drunk. Yeah. And if we we better have, drive home we now. We better drive because home. Because we want to get the full drunk on the road. Oh, man. <laughs> and the FBI also lost an agent to boot. But worst of all, they hadn't captured even one member of the Dillinger gang. Come on. They caught like one guy's wife and a couple of girlfriends, and they convicted all them on harboring charges, but those all those ladies were released on parole soon after. And for this shit, Hoover almost lost his job. But <sighs> That would have been good. That would have been great, but he barely managed to hold on. Now, even though the FBI was not even coming close to doing the job they'd been hired to do, Alvin Karpis was just as cautious and paranoid as ever, and this general mood was starting to rub off on Fred Barker. Do you think if uh, Hoover was ever like if he was ever upset and then someone was like, hey, Jay, don't get your panties in a bunch. And then he was just like, how did they know? I think that, God yes, damn it, how did they I know? think that the time period might have come from that. Yeah. You know why I went as J. Edgar Hoover? Why? Because around that time, like there was a guy somewhere in America that had been convicted of writing like six hundred dollars in uh, bad checks. Fake checks. Yeah. And his name was John Edgar Hoover. And J. Edgar Hoover didn't want to get confused with the other, <laughs> with the criminal the John FBI. Edgar Hoover. <laughs> I see. Yeah. So he changed it to J. Edgar Hoover. That's how fucking weird this guy was. Wow. Well, looking to avoid future entanglements with the FBI in at least the investigative realm, Alvin Karpus and Fred Barker began floating inquiries as to how they could get their fingerprints altered or removed altogether. This is fucking sweet. Not as easy as you might think it is. I bet it's very traumatic to the body. It yeah. seems like it would be, although it's also put them on a hot plate. Would they burn off? You'll see. Okay. They come back. They come they back. Come back huh? They come back. Okay. Well, eventually, Fred and Doc were given the name of an underworld doctor named Dr. Joseph Moran, who had already been to prison for performing illegal abortions and was now a surgeon for hire amongst criminals on par with the doctor in the 1989 Batman movie. This is like an example of why people don't trust doctors and shit. Like, this is one of these guys who's like, yeah, I'll fucking do anything for money. I'll do anything for money, which means I'll also experiment with 1930s plastic surgery on you to figure out what we can do. And that was was an unpioneered area of medicine at the time. And he really was kind of digging in and just figuring shit out on these guys. Yeah. Yeah. So when Fred and Alvin arrived at Moran's office, Moran began by wrapping rubber bands around the first joints on Fred's fingers. Okay. He then mixed a batch of antiseptic liquid and swapped it over his fingerprints. That's so it's and, clean. And when Barker's <laughs> yeah. fingers started going a little bit numb, Moran injected each finger with cocaine uh-huh. to numb them more. Okay. Yeah, and, and why is this happening again, Doctor? It's, 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 you'll see. This is good? Oh, you'll see. Okay, okay. 
Having done that, Moran slowly began to whittle the meat off the end of Barker's fingers as if he was sharpening a pencil. I mean, to be fair, that's how you do it. Yeah, I guess. I don't know how else to get rid of fingerprints. Cover it with with glue. You know, gloves would have been a smart idea. Gloves. (laughs) Yeah, and this is after... Ten fingertips of cocaine. So this guy is <laughs> yeah. Yeah, fuck yeah, man. Fuck yeah, man. Fuck it, man. Give me, give me the scalp. Give me the fucking scalp. After ten minutes of slicing, Moran wrapped the fingers in bandages and gave Barker a shot of morphine, telling him that he was, quote, gonna start hurting in a few hours. Yeah, I am hurting now. Now Moran did the same to Alvin Carpus, but with Alvin. Moran also added facial surgery. He oh told Carpus, hey, your face is kind of lopsided. I can straighten that up for you if you want. What the fuck did you just tell me? I'm a gangster? You're going to tell me what? that my face is lopsided? Everybody only goes, yeah, I wonder how I got the name fucking creepy. Yeah, of course my fucking face is lopsided. <laughs> but this but is the type of shit. Cena, Cena Gaznavi's brother is a plastic surgeon. Yes, he is. And he does say stuff like this where he goes like, I could fix that. He like He grabs a chunk of meat on your face. He's like, we can get rid of this. And he's yeah, been like, like, no, yeah, it's, it's I there. I thought I needed that. <laughs> so Moran shot Carpus's face full of cocaine. That was the only <laughs> anesthetic he had, was just shooting cocaine in people. And he made incisions on Carpus's face that kind of sort of hid his facial scars, but didn't really do much else. He was still seems very like much all him, creepy. Seems it's, like it gave him different scars. Yeah, man. It yeah. just makes you, this is all like Dahmer experimentation. Right. Yeah. Afterward, both Fred Barker and Alan Carpus were in so much pain, mostly from having every finger on their hands <laughs> mutilated, they fell in and out of consciousness for three full days. Okay. Yeah. And maybe yeah. all the cocaine. I think I going just... up and down. I and, need a break. Yeah. Take yeah. a breather. I'm, I'm going to need a Kit Kat after that. Yeah. Well, like George Ziegler, Dr. Moran... Just couldn't keep his goddamn mouth shut. Hey, what are man? you bragging about? Who's gonna know? You, you fucking. You, you're an unlicensed like, doctor. You wanna know how fucking crazy I am? <laughs> I cut the fingerprints off a creepy carpus last night, you fucking piece of shit. Jeez. You paid for pizza. <laughs> Patient no. client privilege, Doc. He was telling sex workers that he was a very important guy in the <laughs> Chicago underworld. I'm a very important man. Okay. So. Uh, Please take a shower before you <laughs> before you come and have sex with me. Mm-hmm. Thank you. So, Carpus and Barker shot him in the head and dumped his ass in a hole in Michigan. Yep. Oh, also, this that is happened. for the that fucking fingerprints. <laughs> yeah, that escalated very quickly. Also, well, again, I mean, just tell them about the invention of gloves. Yep. Yeah. Well, speaking of the fingerprints, other sources say, specifically the FBI, said that Dr. Moran's corpse was not dumped in a hole, but that it actually washed up on the shores of Lake Erie a year later, missing its hands and feet. Yeah, man. Oh, they got revenge. Yeah, they did. I think that he legitimately, Carpus would do shit like that. They were very, they were very violent. (laughs) (laughs) That's why we're, yeah, Yeah, we are covering them. Unfortunately for Fred and Carpus, however, they'd gone through all that pain for nothing. (laughs) The damage had already been done. In February of 1934, FBI agents traced money from the Brimmer kidnapping to a gas station. And from there, they found a gas canister that had been used to refuel the car that had kidnapped Brimmer. Okay. And on that gas canister were the fingerprints of Doc Barker. And with that, the FBI had enough evidence to fully pursue the Barker-Carpus gang wherever they went. 
because it was now a federal matter. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It says here I have to talk about something I need to get off my chest, and I guess I can share it here. I, I eat mayonnaise for fun. It's a hobby of mine, and it's an addiction. It's a daily weight on my life. How much I need whipped egg whites and oil crammed into my veins as soon as I wake up. And a lot of people carry around a lot of different stressors, big and small. Some people are presidents. Some people are soldiers. Some people have to eat mayonnaise, especially with hard-boiled eggs, which is what I eat for lunch. But I guess I should share that in therapy. Because therapy is a safe place to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And what I do is I just add eggs if I have mayonnaise left over. I just continue to add the eggs. But if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. I hope they can help me. My God. I hope they can help me. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash LastPod today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp! H-E-L-P dot com slash last pod. Ah, Jules. Oh, Jules. Make a wife smile today. The road to getting engaged can be long and full of memories and pitfalls and landmines. Or it can be short and thrilling, like a roller coaster on the way to the police department. But the road to finding the perfect engagement ring is a straightforward path every time. All you've got to do is head over to BlueNile.com and they're going to ship them rocks straight to your wife's new fingers. On BlueNile.com, you can create a bigger, more brilliant piece than you can imagine. At a price you won't find at a traditional jeweler, Blue Nile is the original online jeweler since 1999. That's present time to me. Their diamond price guarantee means that in most cases they can meet or beat a competitor's price on a comparable diamond. I know when I got my wife a beautiful Blue Nile necklace, the first thing she did was, what did you do? But afterwards, she was so happy to have it, and she loved it, and she wore it when we went on vacation, and Maron did everybody come around being like, where'd you get that piece, you beautiful woman? And I was like, stop talking to my wife. She's spoken for. You can see it with the Blue Nile bling she's got on her. Right now, get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more with code LASTPODCAST at BlueNile.com. That's $50 off with code LASTPODCAST at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. How many platforms do I work on? So many platforms. Can you believe it? Google Docs. Work on that. Very complicated. Lots of different things going out. Clickety-clack, right? Slack. Saying things to my employees. All my, all my, my main doldgers walking around here. It makes sure it changes cluck to the word I meant for it to say to everyone. But I try to say not curse words on Slack. What am I supposed to do about it? But Grammarly doesn't fix curse words, does it? Because Grammarly's too good for it. It's too classy. It's Grammarly is an AI writing partner that helps you get work done faster with high quality writing. Because better writing means a stronger impact. The pen is mightier than the sword. Except when the sword is in the room. 96% of Grammarly users report that Grammarly helps them craft more impactful writing and suggestions based on your audience goals and context. Can you believe it? And data privacy and security are woven into the foundation of Grammarly. It's in its goods. 
All right, so Grammarly's great. Use it. I use it. I love its gentle harassment of my writing style because it does help me because sometimes my thumbs are faster than my eyeballs. Don't quote me on that. Get AI writing support that works where you work. Sign up and download for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Now, the Barker brothers and Ma have been keeping low profiles in Chicago since the ransom for Edward Brimmer had been paid. To fill their days, the Barkers sometimes went to the movies. And much to their surprise, they were soon seeing their own faces on the screen. That's fun. Was this fun or was that a fucking waking nightmare? (laughs) Probably a little uh, both. Because I would be like, oh, we're on the big screen now. Okay. In April of 1934, Ma, Fred, and Alvin went to the pictures and caught a universal international newsreel featuring an update on the FBI's war against crime. And amongst the pictures of America's public enemies, including John Dillinger and Babyface Nelson, were Alvin Karpus and Fred Barker. It's just nice to be recognized. Yep. And from what Karpus later wrote, when the lights went on in the theater, Ma just smiled at Fred and Alvin with the first real confirmation that her boys were more than just ordinary crooks. You did good, sons. You did good. <laughs> we did? Yeah. Yeah, because okay. yeah, that's, that's the funny thing about it. They said when the lights went up, like everyone, because it ends with, one of them could be sitting next to you right no, now. I highly doubt that. Oh, my fucking Lord. <laughs> yeah, because they were in like giggled like, is it you? Is it you? And you then think, they yeah. were fucking there, man. They were That's awesome. It. Jeez, that's Creepy, That's fun. dude. That is scary. Yeah. But while the Barker Carpus gang were doing their best to avoid police attention, their girlfriends were not showing the same caution. One evening, the main squeezes of Fred, Doc, and Alvin had a bit too much to drink and caused a disruption at the local tavern. Uh-oh. Oh my god, it's like what Wendy does. <laughs> Wendy <laughs> starts a fight and then she's just like, oh, don't worry, my, my father will fix it. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure. The disturbance drew the attention of the police, and one of the girlfriends floated the names of a gang member or two that she might be involved with, and implied that the officers' lives might be in danger if they don't let the girls go. No. Uh The girls were arrested. Yes. And this disturbance marked the beginning of the end of the Barker Carpus gang. (sighs) Now, while the rest of the gang fled to Chicago and other places down south, Doc Barker refused to leave his girlfriend. As a result, on January 8th, 1935, Doc became the first of the Barker Carpus gang to go down for his crimes since they had officially formed five years before. Okay. Federal agents raided Doc's apartment and found not only money from the Bremer ransom, but an arsenal of weapons, including two pistols, two automatic rifles, one 351 rifle with a front machine gun grip, a shotgun, and enough ammunition to take on half the FBI himself. This is my collection, see? All this year, this is just about me celebrating the history of guns, see? Those are new new guns. Oh, yeah, but that's the idea. Contemporary Museum of Guns. That is what this is. It's it's not a stockpile. It's just a pile. After they arrested Doc... The FBI then found a clue as to where their investigation should take them next. It was a postcard from Ocala, Florida. Not Ocala, no! Not why would you go to Ocala? I've heard that. Ocala is it Ocala? Ocala, yeah, Ocala's. Um, love you, Florida. Uh, Ocala is the worst place in the world. Is it? (laughs) 
Why? It's very bad. They don't have an Applebee's? It is. I, oh, no. They, well, that's like all they have. That's all they have. Well, no, it, it, you know Applebee's is not as good as it used to be, Kissel. You I know, know that for a fact. Well, they all started fucking having the same kitchen and all the same recipes and the same food. So you immediately went from celebrating to denigrating. And well, that shows I, that you're a flip-flopper, which oh, is why eventually you're going to go back to the Senate. I'm on, I'm on Ben's side here. He accessed his memories of how good Applebee's used to be first. And then once you actually pointed out his folly, he was big enough to say that he would change his mind. So you say flip-flop and I say that's a good American. Certainly yes. big enough. <laughs> oh no, his tears. Oh, his tears. <laughs> you swift boat me, man. You're gonna try to swift boat me, bro? Nah, man, you ain't got carry face. <laughs> well, even though names hadn't been cited to this postcard, it became obvious that Ma Barker and Fred Barker had fled to Ocala. Love your mother. <laughs> That's oh. I think this is from your mother. Yeah, I do love no. that they did what all of our parents did, which is, or at least mine, they just went to Florida. Went to They're Florida. like, what do you do? Yeah. Honestly, what are you going to do with Ma Barker needed to be? You look at her. She was She's born. She's a Florida. She's a for, Florida gal. Especially West Coast Florida, mm -hmm. Gulf Coast Florida. Mm -hmm. She's got Sarasota written all over her. <laughs> <laughs> now, by 1934, Bonnie and Clyde, Pretty Boy Floyd, and John Dillinger were all dead. So the FBI and J. Edgar Hoover were able to concentrate the full force of their organization on capturing or killing the remaining members of the Barker Carpus gang. The first to go down was Russell Gibson, who'd taken part in the Bremer kidnapping. Mm. Federal agents surrounded his building and hurled tear gas into his apartment before opening fire. Gibson tried running out, firing his pistol, but his gun jammed and agents filled him full of lead. <laughs> Don't worry, in, in 55 years, we're going to use the same technique in Waco, Texas. Whoa, that easy. <laughs> Next was gang member William Harrison, apparently named after the president. Oh. <laughs> Didn't he die in like 17 days or something? Yeah, William I mean, Henry yeah. Harrison, he died in 30 days. <laughs> Best president we ever had. Honestly, every president should have that timeline. Sure. But when they found William Harrison, just after they killed Russell Gibson, all that was left was a charred corpse Whoa. because Doc Barker had probably killed him and burned his body to keep him quiet. Damn. I mean, then he's very quiet. I yeah. guess. Now, Ma, Fred, and Alvin had been staying in Lake Weir in Florida under the name of Blackburn, but they had not kept a low profile. You guys, we're Disney people now. You're Disney people <laughs> we're now? We're Disney people. You we're Disney kids. Ma? Yeah, we're going to Epcot. I just feel like their personalities... They could not be hid under a bushel, could it's they? It's hard. No, no. They, they are peacocks. No. They are peacocks. From what residents of Lake Weir said, the people they knew as the Blackburns paid for everything <laughs> in large bills and wouldn't take change. Here's, here you go. It's like a $1,000 bill. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Keep the change. For the Wrigley's gum? Oh, just no, no. That's yes, yes, yes. It's actually yes, a yes. lot of work for me to do this. Uh, yeah, you it's, just keep the change. You, you keep yourself. Keep and honestly, all those stains on it, that's jelly. <laughs> okay, thank you, Ma Barker. No. Okay. Mother Blackburn. Oh. <laughs> One time, a local barber said that three of these Blackburns got haircuts and they tipped him 50 bucks. You know how much that is today? It's like going to the barber shop and tipping $1,200. Kizzle's done it. Not that much. <laughs> no. That's a lot. What finally caught the attention of the agents, however, was the fact that Fred and Alvin had been seen piloting a boat on the lake pulling a live pig behind them so they could lure out an alligator named Old Joe and shoot him to death with their machine guns. This is the 
movie I want to see. Like, this is the movie. Like, I feel like there's like a slice of life movie about the Barker Carpus gang in Florida and them just being like, we got to get that gator. Oh, man. We got to get him. He's out there. He's taunting us. We got to get him. I just feel bad for the poor, the little piggy. He's just like, babe, babe in yeah, Florida. I mean, you should kill him first. You shouldn't do it. You shouldn't fucking just carry around, like, drown a live pig. And <laughs> They're this having is fun. Well, this just shows I mean, who they are. Like, they are adrenaline junkies at this point. They have to do something, but they know they can't rob banks. Maybe they so the best the idea they can come up with is baiting an alligator named Old Joe so they can kill it with their machine guns. I mean, I like the concept to some degree, but I feel like maybe they were too kind to kill the pig. It's very, it's interesting. I mean, it they have die, the, Just the idea of all of these, like, Florida people, because it's a mixture people coming from like Cuba and all these places right. and it's like very Eclectic. very Florida people yeah. and then them looking on the lake at these men in full suits with Tommy guns <laughs> like on the thing with their pig struggling in the water being like we're gonna get the game we're gonna get that game uh, with this the agents are like yeah the Barkers are at Lake Weir so by the <laughs> that's exactly where they are but by the time agents arrived at Lake Weir on January 16th Alvin Carpus and many of the other gang members had left, but Ma and Fred Barker had stayed behind. But accounts vary as to whether anyone stayed behind with them. I couldn't really figure out whether it was just the two of them or like one other guy or two other guys. Um, but what we do know is that at 5.30 a.m., FBI agents knocked on the door and announced themselves as Department of Justice men and Ooh. demanded that the Barkers come quietly. After some time... The FBI claimed that they heard Ma Barker yell, All right, go ahead. Now they claimed, the FBI claimed, huh. that they took this as a sign that the Barkers were surrendering. But suddenly, Fred appeared in one of the windows, firing a machine gun. All oh. while Ma yelled, Let him have it! Let him have it! <laughs> Mother of the year. The ensuing gunfight continued for hours, long enough for a crowd to gather outside. But it, but at noon, the gunfire inside the house ceased. You're going to want to stand right here. This is still within bullet range, so you might actually get shot. <laughs> it is kind of interesting. <laughs> nice. You're going to want to wear a poncho. Yeah. When agents edged inside the house, they said they found Ma Barker with her arm around her youngest boy, both of them dead. This is, oh. I think, how my mom views we'll die. You know what I mean? Like in her head, she's just been like, that's what they'll do, Henry Thomas. The police will put us down because they'll never understand a Zabrowski way of love. <laughs> Fred had been shot 11 times Woo. before he went down, but Ma had been killed by just one shot to the head. It was reported that her pudgy hands still clasped an empty machine gun, implying that she'd participated in the gunfight. But that's just what the FBI wanted people to believe. Yeah. Uh, oh, are they Ma lying? I, I know. I can't believe we'd ever no accuse them. No way. No. Ma Barker probably never yelled, get him. Ma Barker definitely never fired a machine gun. And there were some very good reasons why the FBI wanted people to believe this to be true. Yes. See, much of the general public was clamoring for the death or capture of Fred Barker. So there weren't really any problems with the FBI shooting him 11 times. No, they loved it. Okay. The problem the FBI had was that they'd just blown the head off an old lady with no criminal record. And oh. after the disaster of the aforementioned Little Bohemia raid in which one innocent civilian was killed... Hoover knew he would probably lose his job if the press turned negative. Put a fucking gun in her hands. Put a gun in her hands. <laughs> yeah. So 
Hoover took the offensive, taking advantage of the fact that out of all the public enemies out there, Pretty Boy Floyd, John Dillinger, Bonnie and Clyde, people knew the least about the Barker Carpus gang. People pretty much just knew their names, and that was it. And remember, that was by design of the Barker Carpus gang. Yes, because they right. were genuinely, like, I, I honestly, in terms of, like, all of the criminals that we have covered on last podcast on the left, they are actually some of the most higher functioning in terms of, like, understanding what they needed to do, understanding, like, the idea of, like, we can't always be bragging, especially yeah, no. the Barker boys, specifically the Barker boys and, and Carpus, because it seemed like, they always were very tight-lipped, and always. it was the it was mm. the ancillary guys. It was all the other people that would join up that always would talk a big game. Those uh, guys knew how to be criminals. Yeah. Well, J. Edgar Hoover very quickly announced that Ma Barker had been the brains of the operation the entire time, a criminal mastermind who had planned everything from escape routes to kidnapping targets and had done it all with a cigar chomped between her teeth. She probably uh, had a cigar. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Although I don't know if she did. She might have liked a cigar, I could see her too. being a fancy lady. And the public, trusting as they were, yeah. They bought it. Mm. Because it was such a compelling tale, the newspapers, in collaboration with the FBI, they created a new Ma Barker that was far more dangerous and capable than the simple, horny, fiddle-playing duller <laughs> that she'd really been. She was oh. an accomplice at best. She was the wow. cook! So they gave her the Manson <laughs> treatment to some degree. A little bit, yes. They they painted her as far more of a villain, because yeah, far more of a villain than she would be because, yeah, again, they killed an old lady, but still, she was there, she was an accessory, she definitely a helped A supportive mother. She was the mascot. <laughs> yeah, okay. exactly. One story called her the deadly spider woman, Ooh. writing that, quote, <laughs> the withered fingers of spidery, crafty Ma Barker, like satanic tentacles, controlled the skeins on which dangled the fate of Desperado. Cool. I mean, I don't know. I think she's a little... She's a little chubbier than that. No, she's just there. <laughs> okay. Once the narrative was established, Hoover doubled down, saying that the Barker Carpus gang were the smartest outlaws he'd ever encountered. And in that, he was telling the truth. But he also said that Ma Barker was the smartest of them all. So smart that they never got anything on her, which is why she was never mentioned in a single FBI file until she was killed. Ma Barker was the Riddler. Interesting. <laughs> yep, it was her. She's definitely like, mm, Trixie, Trixies. Meanwhile, the whole time, she's just that's pining for fucking dick. That's the yeah. Riddler, Trixie, Trixies. I don't know. That's Ma Barker doing it. <laughs> but she was hounding for dick and she liked dresses. Yeah. yeah. So well, she was like, allowed. she was like the rest of us. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, she liked she liked being somebody, and she yeah. liked that her boys were somebody, and she Status. liked going to all these criminal. She liked going to Al Capone's house. She liked hanging out with Pretty Must Boy have Floyd. Freaking awesome, dude. Well, I guess they didn't hang out with Pretty Boy Floyd, but she loved hanging out with uh, Babyface Nelson. I like, mean, she loved it. Natalie yeah. and I were talking about last night about this idea of status in America and how specifically how important it is economic status and what it does and how you will. You, some people are willing to do whatever it takes to not backslide. So yeah. this is the type of thing they made a very good living being criminals. And at Absolutely. some point you just don't want to give it up no matter what. Like you just are. This is who we are now. This is our role. We'd rather die than give it up. American royalty, perhaps nope. true crime royalty. Anyone? Mm hmm. The Ma Barker story also gave J. Edgar Hoover the opportunity to trot out one of his favorite lines. He said that the Barker story proved that the root causes of crime were not poverty or economic disparity, 
but the widespread deterioration of family values. Fuck you! <laughs> Fuck you! Yeah, let me just adjust my girdle. <laughs> you ever get a dingleberry stuck in one of your panties? The nicest part of him was the panties. I know. Yeah. It was the that only was thing the that made him human. Him. But the sad thing is that also made him horrible. Of course, yeah. that's a problem. I wish he could have just Because he made it illegal to correct. wear panties. Exactly. Well, it made him a hypocrite. And isn't that the worst crime of it all? It truly is yes. the worst. <laughs> Meanwhile, the FBI still had one more big fish to catch if they wanted to wrap up their war on crime. And that fish was Alvin Karpus. The manhunt, however, was said to have an air of lethargy and anticlimax. All of the biggest villains were dead. The mm. Barkers were dead. Pretty Boy Floyd was dead. Bonnie and Clyde were dead. And agents were none too keen on risking their lives in a war that had already been won. Especially with the fucking master... Of them, like yeah. one of the best criminals of the time period. It's like jerking yeah. off alone in the bathroom after the orgy. Mm. You know? Yeah, it was a lot of good times there. But Well, now it's time to come and see the glaring light of reality and go home. <laughs> <laughs> and so Alvin Karpus was public enemy number one for an entire year. Fleeing wow. from city to city, hijacking cars, hiding in brothels, and stealing payrolls when he could. Finally, though, the FBI caught up to Carpus in New Orleans in the spring of 1936. On May 2nd, a raiding party surrounded the house where Carpus was known to be staying. But Carpus and his cohorts were actually out at the grocery store, oh. satisfying a sudden craving they'd just gotten for strawberries. Kind of oh. some strawberries. <laughs> it's the anti-accidents. Yeah, okay. When they returned, however, Carpus felt that something was off. And when he rolled down his car window, an agent recognized him and raced his car to block Carpus in. According to J. Edgar Hoover, Hoover himself then jumped out of his car and rushed to Carpus, grabbing him by the collar before Carpus could reach for his gun. No, sure, he yes. No, he All didn't. five foot three, 190 pounds <laughs> no. of J. Edgar Hoover no, definitely did. Definitely. Actually, not. J. Edgar Hoover was like almost exactly your size. Hey, man. The leader <laughs> size. Scary, <laughs> scary person size. Isn't it funny? Isn't it funny how when I say he's your size, all of a sudden he switches to being a leader? He's like, leader like size. Like your L. Rod Hubbard love affair. <laughs> yes. Anyone that looks like you. The body you like. of a philosopher king. J. Edgar Hoover. <laughs> but according to Alvin Karpus, who I'm actually much more inclined to trust, J. Edgar Hoover was nowhere to be found no. at the actual moment of, of Karpus's arrest and only swooped in to reap the glory after the coast was clear. Of course. My job is to organize. Yeah. Okay, I oversee. God, you're going to ruin this whole country. You know that, mm -hmm. right? Yes. Thank you. <laughs> Nevertheless, the New York Times front page headline the next day said, Carpus captured in New Orleans by Hoover himself. Oh, fucking bullshit. I can't. It was easier to escape back then, right? Sort Why did they just go to the middle of nowhere? Because Why don't just go to South everybody's Carolina looking for in the you. woods? This is a time period where there's very also there's very few methods of communication. So your right. face has been blasted. The only place that people see mass communication in the movie theater and like a they lot of people knew doesn't. I just feel like they could have hid, but whatever. You can, but it's also you know. Do you want to live that life? Like, do you really want I, to just go into every the Ozarks? Day to be just disconnected. Sounds yeah. really refreshing. You can do it, but you'd also, you'd get bored and commit a crime. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, after a short stay in Leavenworth, Doc Barker was sent to Alcatraz. Alcatraz. Uh -oh. 
Hey, did you Vince? know? Don't even do it. Did you know? Don't even do it. Yeah, it's been no. ruined. Uh, no, I can't. I, it's already yeah. I can't. No. I can't. I'll wait till later. Yeah. I'll wait. I'll, 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 it's going to come back. Don't worry. About yeah, yeah it'll come, well, it'll come back wrong. We just got to let it rest. Let it sit. Let it rest. Yeah, yeah. Let yeah. it rest. Yeah. It well, Pelican. eventually, what? Doc Barker. <laughs> what, what is that? What did you say? It means Falcon. Let's just move on. Okay, I got it. Fine. Let's just move on. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Doc Barker, if you listen to our Alcatraz series, you know that he was killed in an escape attempt many years later. And if you want to hear that full story, please go listen to our series on Alcatraz Penitentiary. As far as the fates of Ma and Fred Barker went, they were subjected to a final indignity after death. For eight months, their bullet-ridden bodies were iced and put on display in Florida as a tourist attraction. But Marcus, Marcus, Jeez. wait a second. Why true crime now? Why true crime People now? are so obsessed with <laughs> true, true crime, crime now. now. Why now? Why is it? You why know, now? Why so now? you think this is, obviously, it is because of the plaque that says, look at these two dumb bastards, we killed them. But there is also something kind of nice in memorial. To be frozen in time for eight months. They were not frozen in time. They just decomposed slower. Yeah. Oh. Uh, I feel, they, that's honestly, fun. That's, that's, fun. Fun. that's a fun day in Florida. This is how criminals <laughs> should be treated. I honestly think that this is exactly how it should have been done. Manson was wrong. When that hot chick told him yes, and he, he flipped out saying, starved. oh, you're not going to use my body for your fucking, your sideshow. I'm not a sideshow. Be you like, are. You are literally <laughs> you are. are a sideshow, Charles Manson. Yeah. Like they should have chucked your body all over this fucking country. We yeah. would have opened for him. I, yeah, uh, like, seriously. <laughs> yeah, the Ed Gein death truck should still be on display. Yeah. Yeah. COVID casualty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, partly these bodies were made a tourist attraction because they could be. Nobody wanted to claim the bodies after the media firestorm mythologized Ma Barker. Right. Mostly, though, this was another FBI plot. The FBI wanted the bodies of Ma and Fred Barker on display because they thought that maybe it would lure the remaining Barker Carpus gang members out of hiding. Also, hear me out. Let's put a uh, let's put a wick in their shoes, right? We'll call them a shoe bomber. And then every time you go to the fucking airport, they'll take off their goddamn shoes Dude, just to feel like a bunch of assholes. Wait till next week. This shit is fucking... Ugh. They had a lot of crackpot ideas inside of the U.S. Yeah. government. Okay. Eventually, though, George Barker, Ma's estranged husband and father of all three Barker boys, arranged for the transportation of the bodies of Ma and Fred to Oklahoma for burial, and both were laid to rest in Welch beside the eldest Barker, Herman. Okay. I actually looked up their graves on Find a Grave. Uh, Bar <laughs> Herman, uh, findagrave.com. You know it. You know it. You know <laughs> it. Most uh, people look for love on the internet, but <laughs> that's where you find love. Find, find a grave. You find it at the grave. <laughs> yeah, okay. you do. Uh, uh, Herman actually got a really nice headstone. It says Barker. It says Herman. It's very much in the 1920 style. Uh, but with Ma and Fred, they just put them in the ground. And you can tell years later, someone just paid for a single marble block that just said Ma, Kate, Ma Barker and Fred Barker. Because wow. I think they were tired of people asking in Welch. Where, like, yeah, where, where is, is, it? is it? Yeah. Mm. As far as Alvin Karpis went, he was sent to Alcatraz as well and spent 25 years as a troublemaker, earning write-ups for fighting, refusing to work, possession of contraband, and insolence to officers. Ooh. In 1969, though, Alvin Karpis was paroled and deported to his native Canada. He soon moved to Spain, where he wrote two completely unrepentant autobiographies and died happy in 1972 as the last surviving member of the infamous Barker Carpus gang. Wow. Concerning J. Edgar Hoover, 
the end of the Barker Carpus gang's reign gave him the final push he needed to make the FBI legitimate in the public eye. His powers after Alvin Carpus was captured were broadened, and he was therefore able to refocus the FBI from the waste of time that was bank robbery to Hoover's true passion, communist subversion. And that, my friends, will segue nicely into the gigantic series we have planned next week when we once again go wide on all platforms. This is here to hear first, ladies and gentlemen. Crime doesn't pay, but it does for a while. And then you just kind of have to get out before you you get get murdered. But just know that for a while, crime does pay. But in in the end, it doesn't pay that much, though. Freakonomics, that book, it's an old book now. But they broke down crime, and it doesn't really pay that much. So no. you should just go get a job, too. Well, crime pays as much as the as the entertainment industry pays. You know, most people don't make any money in the entertainment industry, but man, if you do, boy, you're doing good. Some Crime's people the can, same way. Well, some people can do really well. We have discovered the way to make middle-class entertainment work. I don't know how, but it's like literally like it is interesting to see the fact that you put a lot. the same the way that like you put all of these extra hours into becoming a comedian or an entertainer. It's the same thing with as a, as a criminal where it's like it's a hard work. You got to do to organize is, all of this bullshit. What do they say? Tenth, is that Mar- what is it? Malcolm, Malcolm Gladwell. Malcolm Gladwell. Yeah, his, his podcast. Speaking of podcast, I listen to it. He talks Real slow, like all slow. I don't like him. He's, well, I don't know. Um, but anyway, you got, what is it? Ten thousand hours you got to do? It's yeah, Something whatever. Like he just made shit up. Well, yeah, that's yeah. all. All of us. Do. He just, but yeah, he definitely. But people think Malcolm he's smart because he's kind of unattractive, but also named, kind of attractive. He just named a, a number. He's it skinny, matter. so people think he's smart. But if he was fat, people would think he's not. Okay, interesting. Well, thank you. That's really interesting. Yeah, that's I really, like the look of Marcus's face. Yeah, it's, I don't know if that's true. Oh, I don't def- know. if Marcus. If, Malcolm many Gladwell. fat men, many fat men have been, are smart and Stanton are Friedman. smart. Stanton Friedman wasn't that fat. <laughs> he was that smart. And then, um, <laughs> wait, uh, who else? Who else is big? None. And smart. Yeah. Who? Fucking Norman Mailer was fat. He was considered very smart. He's bad now, though. Norman oh, he's kind of always been bad. Yeah. He, like, I shot don't somebody. know what the rules are <laughs> when it comes to. But no, he like shot somebody. I don't know what's going on. You've all done right, this. everyone. Well, thank you so much for listening. As Marcus said, we can't wait to be wide on all the platforms. And we really hope that we are making Neil Young happy because we don't want we don't want the, the rage no. of Neil Young. Because I can hear the choo-choo. Because Neil Young's going to send his trains after Spotify. you got to be really careful if you're on Spotify right now. So next time, just so you know, Soul Plumber 4 is already is a go. It's out there. You can fucking get it. It's out there. We got. I think we got three weeks to the next one. It's out there. Go get it. If they don't get you your copy of Soul Plumber, just throw a trash can through the fucking the front of the comic don't. book store. Ask Civil satire. disobedience. Ask. Make them give it to you. This is satire. Do you not attack really? your local comic book store. They are run by very hardworking people that are trying to live their dream. Do not it's, throw a trash they can through their window. They're not loaded with cash. They're not loaded with money. No, They're it's not, not about stealing the money. It's about getting the comic book. You got to get the comic no matter what. Like your life depends on it. Okay. Well, uh, if you're in West Texas and you want a copy, be sure to go to Starbucks and Comics. They got yeah. plenty there. Yeah, you can just Greenpoint. Go. You just fucking, if you're here in New York, go to uh, Action City Comics. They got all the issues there. So go yeah, check them out. Go you can support order. those fine stores. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Um, we got the coffee. Get some Mothman coffee. It's very good. Um, really Spring Hill good. Jack. I'm honestly, I'm full of it right now. You want I don't know if you to, can tell. Yeah, you want people to vandalize buildings for them too? I mean, it just helps move the coffee. Does it? 
All right, everyone. Thank hmm. you all so much for supporting all the weird little ventures we're getting into. Also on a totally opposite level than we uh, than coffee is weed. Oh, yeah. So we have that, and we're going to be getting into the flower soon because we're adults. Yep. God damn it. And hmm. We want our Interesting. joints. It's adults. Interesting. This, this study that I just found, it's very provocative. It said that larger people have less gray and white matter in the brain. And that's what why that they mean? make bad food choices. What? What? You tell me I'm <laughs> stupid? Fucking, what? What? Get the... Fuck. Wow. Ah. Your brain is literally baloney. <laughs> That's what baloney is. All right, everyone. Thank you all so much for listening. Hope you're doing well out there. Hail yourself. Hail Satan. Hail Gain. Magoostalations. We'll see you on the road. We can't wait to be in Richmond, Washington, and Philadelphia. Streets in Philadelphia. I can't wait to get some of that Philadelphia fever. Woo! This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors, you can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. You ever meet someone who seems kind of off? Whether it's a creepy neighbor or random phone number that keeps calling you, Truthfinder has you covered. You can search for people by name, address, phone number, email, and more. Truthfinder can be especially helpful for running confidential background checks on anyone you're planning to meet from online dating apps. Go to truthfinder.com slash podcasts for a special offer. That's truthfinder.com slash podcasts to access your special offer today. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.